0: Most of the talk in F1 circles in recent days has been about engines, following Honda dropping the bombshell that it will quit F1 at the end of 2021 to focus its resources on its objective of becoming carbon neutral. So what better topic to set Gary Anderson on than Formula One engines? I'm Ed Straw and joining me is the man himself, Gary Anderson, and given this is about engines, Gary, I am obliged to ask you to reveal what is the correct way to lift a Ford DFV engine into a transit van, given that was the the key to your F1 career.
1: Well, the way I did it was to stand at the side of it and you rolled the uh, one cam cover onto your knees as such. So you're lifting half of it on your leg and half of it on your arms um, and then just get one one side of it into the transit van and slide it across the floor. So not too difficult. I think it was only 135 kilograms or something at that point in time. So, you know, not, not, not too stupid. But as I say, it's a nice shape for lifting. And actually on the bottom of the cam cover, there's nice little finger grips as such as a... A little set of grooves the way the, the heads were machined so um yeah it's a long time ago though ed a long time ago the human engine hoist that's
0: uh, that's probably what we should do
1: no it's, uh, it's i'm sure it's been done a few times you know we used to when you're changing engines at that point in time you know you were lifting them on two people lifting them onto stands and stuff and sliding the chassis back into the engine and all that sort of stuff so yeah you know it was the way it was done then you didn't have this equipment that people have now all this air jack stuff and some you you know, you used to lift the front of the car yourself onto onto a stand with the rear wheels still on the ground, and somebody. You know, there's only two mechanics there, so there's one guy lifting, which is usually me, and somebody else putting the stand underneath, which was usually the weaker of the two. So, um, yeah, different world
0: nowadays. Yeah, far cry from the days of uh, sometimes you're not even allowed to touch the car when obviously it's still live. Quite rightly, given the uh, given the uh, the battery involved, but uh, yeah, much more complicated. And we're gonna we're gonna get onto all sorts of engine tech today. But I think the obvious question is one I'll put to you, which is just, what's your reaction to the Honda news that we heard at the end of last week? Um,
1: I was pretty surprised, to be honest. You know, they're they're in a position where they've come in to try and achieve a goal, um, and this what will be six years. Um, the end of 2001. They started in 15. Um And you know, it's such a big venture to build the package, it's what we call now the, the power unit for a Formula 1 car, that you need to have some long-term planning to do it. I'm uh, pretty sure, you know, the coronavirus stuff and all that has affected it and has affected Honda's budget as such as to how much money they're bringing in, how much they can spend on this sort of stuff. But still, it's, you know, the, the, the expenditure to continue is a lot less than the expenditure to get set up all the organisation putting all together, all the test benches, all the dynos they needed, all the test equipment. You know, all that investment to put it all together to have a package that could create this PU that we, Formula One uses um, is a huge, huge, huge amount of money. And then to, to walk away from it, um, and, and they say it's to concentrate on the their electric vehicle um, or new new power. Uh, unit vehicles for the road cars which I completely agree but you know some of the stuff should be do- able to be done in parallel so I was very shocked when I saw it um, that that, that it was actually happening because I did expect them to stay on till you know at least these engine regulations changed in, in 2025 which would be another four years I suppose you'd call it. Um, I expected them to stay on to that period and then make a judgment based on what the new regulations were going to be but not to be so
0: that's it they're going back home again yeah well it certainly seems like a, a switch of all of their resources on so i said it's becoming carbon neutral but it's it's really bigger than that isn't it it is electrical vehicle electric vehicles technologies etc supply you know the whole thing it's going to be a a big old project for them but uh, yeah uh, still a little bit of a surprise in terms of given how they were, well they were going you thought they might have uh, kept it going as a, as a marketing exercise even if it wasn't technical but anyway uh don't want to rake over the coals of it too much, but we've got a wide variety of questions from listeners about about engines. Many of them connected to this. So the first one comes from Jacob Jones, uh, who says, "Are we seeing the beginnings of a manufacturer exodus from F1? It seems fair enough that the EV tech is the main driver here because that's needed. But where does that leave F1 as a brand if it struggles to bring in the big car players as it is?"
1: Well, it's going to be tough, I have to say, because you know all the uh, the governments are are pushing to big to go you know carbon neutral or you know, through the cities, whatever, they're all pushing very hard to, to move forward. Um, and, and rightly so, but I think we have to make sure we're pushing in the correct, correct direction. And I don't see electric vehicles at the moment, um, you know, achieving that goal. Uh, none of the stuff about the battery technology and the recycling of batteries is, is really sort of up front yet. It's all happening. There's lots and lots of electric vehicles out there but it's still going to be a very difficult thing to sort of quantify and say this is the best solution. It's easy to stand back and say, well, you know, battery power, electric electric motors, and away we go. That's it done. But I, I don't think that's it. Well, there has to be more stuff, you know, the hydrogen fuel cell stuff. I don't know enough about it um, because, you know, it, it's not been my era as such. But I think that at the end of the day, there's going to be something coming up. And, you know, the fuel companies are, are huge um, and I think I'm sure there's there's ways that they could push. Uh, you know, we had chemical fuels in Formula One in the in the '90s, and we, you know, producing massive horsepower with it. There has to be ways of of getting rid of fossil fuels and and with a clean environment. Not sure what it is, but there has to be ways that the fuel companies will be working to try to keep engines as we know them um, with a different type of fuel in them, um, synthetic fuels of some sort. But you know, it has to it has to have time to do that sort of thing government seem to be pushing between two thousand and thirty to two thousand and fifty to clean up the act. Um, as I say, rightly so. But I don't think we've just—I don't think it's black and white that electric powered vehicles is, is just the
0: direction. A very uncertain landscape we're facing in the future. Uh, the next question is from Demetrius Querty on Twitter. He says, "Could Honda do what they did in the late nineties and continue to supply Red Bull or another team under the Mugen?" name you of course ran mugen honda uh, engines with uh, with jordan sounds unlikely on this one but uh, a fun idea i think it sounds
1: unlikely to be part of the mugen uh, sort of campaign as such but what i wouldn't be surprised to see is is for red bull to take it on and, and, and move forward with it i mean they've they've always tinkered with and talked about doing their own engine you know they have massive connections uh, through germany uh, you know be it with porsche or audi or whatever um, the manufacturer's a little bit unsta- the manufacturing business of cars is a little bit unstable at the moment, so it's difficult to know what way they would go. But at the end of the day, as I said before there, Honda has spent all the money on setting up the equipment to do this specific project for Formula One, so it'd be sad to see all that get wasted and you know if Red Bull could maneuver it in a certain way, um, maybe there's enough room there to say yes. It could happen, i.e. as the Mugen was, but not necessarily with Honda. Um, it would just be buying the rights to the the technology at the moment um, and trying to keep it going in some way. I'm sure Red Bull are, are looking at something like that because you know, we're left with Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault and I don't think any of them are in love with Red Bull really. Um, so it's not going to be easy for them to pick up an engine that's competitive to go with their with their chassis package. So and it's two teams, it's Toro um Alfa Tauri as it is now, uh, are going to suffer the same. So it's not as though it's a, just a two-car sort of like find a solution to this engine problem for Red Bull. It's a four-car situation. So if I was Red Bull, that's the direction I'd be looking and trying to keep Honda involved for, for 2021, which is obviously they've committed to doing, and then having a rundown, you know, a paid rundown as such, so that they're getting paid to sort of uh keep it going for the next 2 3 years with an increase uh, increasing influence from Red Bull or a European car manufacturer.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that the those involved with the F1 project side have said that they're open to to trying to do some kind of thing like that but we don't know what Honda at the top level of corporate would uh, would think about that. I know they're quite protective of their IP but who knows it's a if you're a Red Bull I agree it would be a brilliant solution to be able to do a continuation uh uh, project of, of some sort. Uh, the next question is from Stuart Coulter, who says, Pat Simmons has previously talked about two strokes forming part of the next generation of F1 engines. Do you think that idea has merits? And what would be the advantages and disadvantages? And for example, would it satisfy fans who want louder engines?
1: Um, well, two strokes are different noise, They're a bit like a sewing machine, to be honest. You know, the, it's a, the high RPM sound that makes it work for you. They've got very little torque um, and, you know, lots of revs. But, you know, we've we got to look at what happened. I, I don't quite know what Pat was meaning about two-strokes and the next generation. I mean, if he's taken a two-stroke as we know it, you know, we have to look at, at the motorcycle industry and they've all moved away from two-strokes because two-strokes were, were not as efficient as what they could have been for the power output. So, difficult to know how you would adapt that to, to Formula One. I mean, I whenever I started working, we had uh, the company I worked for was a, Manufactured chipboard, and we had a Commer uh, truck, which was actually a two-stroke diesel, and uh, one of the first ones. And it, you know, the noise was great. It was, as I say, it was like a sewing machine relative to trucks, but it was, it was different. But it has been here, and it has gone away. And I'm not, I'm not sure the whole politics of why, or the reasons why, but I, I don't think we're at a point where we need to sort of try to find a solution that's. That's in the past, we need to find a solution for the future. And I, I don't know where two strokes would fit into that solution. I'm probably completely wrong because I've never really looked deeply into it. And I never really took what Pat said seriously because it's, you know, obviously there's all these bits out there, these things that have happened during time. Um, and you can sort of tap into them all, but there's a reason for them coming and a reason for them going. Um, and we are where we are now. And it's a, it's a changing world. So I think we have to look to the future rather than the past.
0: Yeah, and there's there's going to be steps aren't there because there'll be the next generation engine in about 2026, which is I'd be surprised if it's something dramatically unrecognisable from what we've got now because it's a little bit early to be committing to uh, to something. I think given the way the world's going, but it's it's a tricky question. Um, there's a question here from Hweep Scratch on Twitter who says, "Now that F1 has budget limits for for teams, could the FIA consider less restrictive engine rules? It would be easy to regulate using an energy budget, limiting the amount of fuel." Now that's quite an interesting idea, isn't it? Because you could if you set an energy budget you could then make the fuel free and that that would be a real playground for manufacturers to experiment and drive technology but of course it comes with other risks
1: yeah it comes with other risks the problem again is the fact that it's it's making sure that you don't spend lots and lots of money going down a certain route and then have to change direction because somebody's got it right um you know taking a, a simple sort of example is that is whenever we had the uh, the double diffuser appeared Everybody built a car and, you know, they they hadn't found this loophole that Braun, Toyota and and Williams had found in the double diffuser. Um, So at that point in time, there's three teams with it and, you know, whatever it was at that point, the rest of them, the eight teams that were left out, um, had to go and spend loads and loads of money um, just to do it again. So it's the same way anything that you sort of put into position, you need to be very careful because somebody will get it right and if you look at the regulations as we have now, Mercedes have got it right. And Ferrari, Renault, Honda have all spent massive amounts of money to try to catch Mercedes. You know, Mercedes have just been able to do their normal as such development steps or development program from a very, very good base. Whereas the rest of them weren't able to do that because they, their base was so low. So they had to spend huge and huge amounts of money to try and catch up. not to, Not to try to be more competitive, but just to try and catch up. And they're still spending on trying to catch up you know they still haven't made it as such, so it's very difficult if you change the regulations too dramatically away from the from the beaten track you can end up just yeah well you just you know outspend uh, what formula one can bring it in so I think you need to be very very careful. The energy budget thing and just limiting the amount of fuel is a is a tricky little one because you could get a, you know, like a fuel formula which it's okay. I think it needs to be done a little bit differently. It can't be it shouldn't be done as a as a full race fuel. Somehow you need to break it up so that you don't end up with this last five laps where somebody just limping around trying to make the checkered flag. It needs to be done sort of over the whole race type thing. So it's a fuel per lap or something like that. But huge amount of things need to be put on the table and you need a bunch of very intelligent people to sit around that table and try and drag out the uh, the weed from the chaff or such and 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 just make sure that the package you put together next time is actually a little bit more relevant than it is this time.
0: Yeah, that, that's the big challenge. And of course, fundamentally, F1 needs a good racing engine. That's the That actually has to be the number one priority, doesn't it? Um, the next question from Adam Redmond. This is one you've answered in a written piece, but it's worth having a chat about here, which is, if it were down to you, what type of engine would you suggest going forward? Now, I know you're a little bit cautious about sort of making bold predictions, etc. You've come up with a little bit of an outline of a, of a kind of concept study framework. So maybe you could run through that.
1: Yeah, it's a very difficult thing because, you know, obviously everybody has their own opinion on these sort of things, but the the criteria that I see Formula 1 crying out for is is it an engine that makes a decent noise for the spectators. You know, people want to know this thing is is that, you know, that rocket ship that the um that they think it should be. You know, Formula 1 has to be the lead formula through the world really. No matter what the other formulas are, Formula 1 has to be that thing that you look at and it all oh, it's too it's so fast it's just sounds like lots and lots of power, all that sort of stuff. Um so uh you know my suggestion was was a V8 to a practical amount of revs, eighteen thousand RPM, just because it's it's a simple engine that everybody knows about. It will make a decent noise, it will manufacture decent horsepower, and then again a fuel flow and a fuel capacity restriction on it. And the reason of doing that really is to try to sort of have the engine separate it from any hybrid stuff. Because if you can do that, then you can bring in the you know the, the manufacturers, the, the engine manufacturers from the past, you know, the Judds or the or as it was Brian Hart or Cosworth. You know, they can specialise in making this power unit, this engine. Doesn't doesn't have all these very expensive and very complicated um, electronic or electrical assisted Bits with it. It's just a basic engine that that produces power, and then on top of that, have some electrical energy. You know, if we take what we have right now and the, and the engines we've got, let's say the engine is producing something like eight hundred horsepower, um, which is a, a bit ambitious, but let's say it's knocking on the door of eight hundred horsepower, just for a nice round figure. And with the the um, electrical power supply that we have, you're allowed. 120 kilowatts for 30 seconds, that's 160 horsepower for 30 seconds of a lap. If you look at a lap and say, okay, it's 70% of the lap is full throttle, that's the time you could use more power. Um, that ends up being 63 seconds that you would have um, 80 horsepower, you'd have horsepower for, you want horsepower, extra horsepower for, um, which means that you know it's twice as much time as you have got extra power available for. So you end up, if you divide that by two, that 160 horsepower, you end up with 80 horsepower. And that 80 horsepower you're getting from your electrical source is 10% of the horsepower you're getting from your fossil fuel source. So our hybrid engine at the moment, is a nice, simple round of figure, is a 10% hybrid, 10% electrical hybrid. Um, and that in itself is, it's not that much for the amount of money and complication that goes into the engine. Um... And it's not enough to actually sort of say we have got a real hybrid, you know? It's 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 not as though it's forty percent or fifty percent. It's it's a ten percent addition, which I think is too too little for the complication that it
0: brings. And and connected to that, and uh, coming back to the question of the DFV, uh, Rob Colley says, Could the new regs bring forward an engine manufacturer to produce a new DFV cheap engine with loads of power and and reliability I should say i suppose the DFE initially wasn't kind of a cheap easy engine was it? it it sort of took over because it was such a step forward didn't
1: it yeah it was such a step forward it wasn't a cheap easy engine by any means um and it, it stepped forward because it it became it was it was very very good it was well ahead of its time um but it was also then because of that the numbers went up and suddenly the prices the price didn't come down but it didn't go up as much as it might have done um, so it, it found its own home, I suppose you might call it. But that's really what I'm, I'm saying with Formula 1. If you separate the engine from any other hybrid sources that you have on the car, you can still have them. Um, you, you allow that you know, reasonably decent, reasonable power-level engine to be manufactured by independent companies, as I say, Elmore or Cosworth or, or Judd or as it was, Brian Hart or whatever, They're all available there to build normal engines that produce decent horsepower. And um, then you bring in the electronic side of it, the electrical side of it, to to boost. And that level has to be done by somebody else. But it does bring in two two different levels of specialists instead of trying to put it all in one basket and say, right, okay, only the engine manufacturers can, can make me, or only the car manufacturers can make this because it's such a complicated package all these bits integrated with the engine. You don't want that integration. You want to separate it, in my book, and allow it to still happen, but have it separated.
0: And that could actually open it up on the other side to uh, new manufacturers because, I don't know, say Tesla or one of the other electric vehicle se- uh, specialists, they don't want to make an internal combustion engine. That That's of no interest to them. So by dividing it up, it makes, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? There's also a question related to that as well from... Uh, dr evil apparently on twitter and your name says how quickly now does f1 have to transition to an all-electric formula to remain relevant i think that's a really interesting question because kind of electric is the is the panacea now isn't it the thing that will solve all ills but it's it's perhaps not that straightforward is it
1: um yeah it's a very difficult one it's not it isn't that straightforward Uh, and, and does formula one have to be that i mean does Formula One have to be relevant to anything? I mean, people go to watch drag racing. You know, is that relevant to anything? Or you know, horse racing? Every, people will pick a, a sport that they go want to go on, and watch as such, and that sport has to justify itself. It is a, it is a sport, and it is an amusement for for everybody. So, a spectacle, I suppose, is what you call it. But do we have to convert to to? Um, an electrical formula, it's difficult to answer because we have Formula E and Formula E for what it is, is perfect. You know, Formula E probably costs three or four percent of what it costs for a decent Formula, a big Formula One team to run. A, a top Formula Formula E team probably doesn't spend more than three or four percent, maybe let's say five percent, of a top Formula One team. So, but that's what the racing is. The racing is a one-day event. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a package that's created for what it, for what it is. It's not trying to replace what Formula One is at the moment. Formula One is a you know one hour and a half race, a two hundred mile race, three hundred kilometers. Um, it, the whole Formula would have to change if you're going to go electric. And yes, it might drive people into um, new battery technology, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know that's all happening anyway. It's all happening in the underground. There's no you wouldn't believe. The amount of batteries, these little, what we'll you call them, um, six, 1865, the, the cells are 18 millimeter diameter, 65 millimeter long. You wouldn't believe how many of those are in a Tesla. You know, it's just horrendous. And you know, they're trying to make a bigger one. They're now working on a 2170, which is you know got a higher, higher density of, of energy. But it's 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 still such a big deal. All that package, to get you to do. 250, 300 miles maybe in a road car at probably averaging 40, 45 miles an hour. Try to make a Formula One car do 300 kilometres or 200 miles, averaging 120 miles per hour, it's it's just impossible. The power density you need from the battery pack would be horrendous. So I don't see it as a need for Formula One. I think there's a need for it in, in allowing Formula E to show its true reason for being there.
0: But not not for Formula One at this point in time. Not in the next, you know, not till twenty thirty or something at least. Yeah, more time needs to be needs to pass. Certainly, F one needs to get off hydrocarbons, but uh, at this stage, it's a little bit premature. Especially as the big question is where you get your power to go into those batteries, as well as all the, the question marks over the batteries. So, yeah, there, there's a few questions to be answered. How about single engine manufacturers? Graham Ramsden asks, would having an F one single engine manufacturer make F one? more or less competitively close and exciting. Of course, this was briefly in a set of rules that Max Mosley dropped on F1 to have a one-make Cosworth uh, built engine. That would be one way to eliminate the engine variable and just write, you buy your engine, you can control your costs, bang, there it is.
1: Well, that's what we used to have really with the, with the DFE. I suppose you might say. You know, it was a fixed price, that was it. Uh, obviously, there's still competition in there with Ferrari and whatever. You know, maybe Formula 1's not that far away from saying, well, actually, Ferrari's the only one left. Um, you know, as I say, Honda's just walking away. Um, what's to stop Mercedes doing that now? Or Renault. Uh, they're, they're the ones that are in Formula 1 for quite a different reason to Ferrari. Ferrari are there because they see it as their their DNA. You know, they're, they're a Formula 1 team um, and they, they sell road cars and they make very exotic, very high-priced road cars to, to, to fund it. But also because they are Ferrari and they have been Ferrari for so long. They have a decent sponsorship base to to fund it all. So they're the one team that I suppose you might say would, would stick with F1 through thick and thin. So we might not be far away from having a, a Ferrari F1 formula, which would be great, yeah. Would it be more competitive? It would be, if all the old engines are the same, it would definitely close down that gap that we we believe exists between Renault, Honda, um, Ferrari, and, and Mercedes. Um, and that can only bring the grid closer together. But it's wrong to instigate, I think, a one-make formula until you know your your backs to the wall, until you can't do something else. And at the moment, Formula One's looking to try and bring in other manufacturers. I think with this mess that we've got into now, and with Honda pulling out, getting new manufacturers to come in will be will be a tough task right now because they'll all ask the question: Is why are Honda backing out of it? Because that's the second question now. Before it was just quite simple: Could we beat Mercedes if we came in with something? And they'd probably put a good argument together to say, yes, they could. But right now, well, actually, hang on. We'll, you know, why, are Honda, why are Honda doing a runner? And um, that's not good for bringing in manufacturers for the future. So, as I say, the back might get to the wall some point in time. Or Formula One's back might get to the wall some point in time. And they may have to do it. But as I say, it might just only
0: be Ferrari. There's a question related to that from Jamie C, Brackets Coops, apparently on Twitter, who says, what are the chances of a new manufacturer entering before 2025? What does FIF1 need to do to get more manufacturers? We talked a bit about the second part, but the chance of a new manufacturer before 2025 are pretty much minimal, aren't they?
1: I would say they're minimal. I don't see why any manufacturer would want to come in, especially now with you know, the, the crisis that everybody's going through right now with uh, COVID-19 on top of, just the fact that the engine regulations for Formula One are so difficult to come in and make an impact uh, very quickly. You know, 20, 2025 will come You know, before you even know it. So at the end of the day, no, reserve judgment, put some research into place, I suppose, to see where you are, um, see what you think you can get to with the te- current technology. And that, and that research is just a lot of clever people sitting down and doing some, some fairly close, you know, Uh, calculations and trying to come up with what their solutions would be and and why they would make it work that way and seeing through their test research program if you could actually achieve it but i think getting involved before 2025 is is a no-no the thing is the regulations for 2025 need to be defined pretty soon because you know to, to attract anybody then at the start of a new engine formula you you need to have time. It's it's all about time. You can't put the light on the light switch on and just suddenly have bright lights. It's, it's not like that. You have to put the bulbs on and the wiring and everything to to get you there. So the you know the regulations need to be defined
0: pretty soon. Yeah, they seem to be gunning for twenty twenty six at the moment for the new engine as it is. But you never know. Last time they had the new engine, it was deferred, obviously. So uh, who knows? And um, there's a question. I'm not sure how closely you've been following what's been going on in IndyCar. I know you keep an eye on these things, but there's a question from Alan Patterson about the possibility of F1 getting involved with HPD, which is Honda in the US, and Chevrolet in developing their hybrid engine for 2023 for IndyCar. It says you could get the ACO on board with a variant for LMP2 sports cars, even Super GT, Australian supercars, DTM if it's still around, costs slashed globally. So this is kind of a global racing engine. That's an idea that has been knocking around a bit before and didn't come off, but it sounds like one of those glorious ideas that, uh, that just, just won't work because there's too many moving parts.
1: Well yeah, and again in my written article I put in there about it, I, I think this is the right time to try to get together to do something because it's all the same thing. I, I do take a big interest in Indy cars. I was involved with it for a while. Um, and I did watch the two races from, from Indy this weekend. And you know, it's good it's good racing. There there's a there's a car, it's a one make car, the the Delara, which has suited their needs in America, which is fine. But there's a power unit in the back of it and, you know, it makes the car go. Whether, you know, the minute they've got 750 horsepower, they're talking about 900 horsepower for 2023 or when these new regulations come in. That's all fine. That's, you know, that's all good horsepower. And it it could be a very small derivative of a base engine that is achievable to, to give Formula One that edge. Or IndyCar and Formula One could have the the same sort of package, and then it depends on your your uh, hybrid part of it. You know, IndyCar wants to bring in some hybrid technology because it is you know it is the future. It is what's happening right now. It is what you need to be sort of confident in that you're you're marketing correctly. So at the end of the day, this is the perfect time for Formula One and IndyCar to have a good chat with each other. Roger Penske has just taken over the Formula, so there's a bloke there who knows a fair amount about motorsport, I have to say, um, and knows a massive amount about business. He wouldn't be the wrong person to sit down with his people and, uh, and Formula 1 together and try and discuss something. And, and as I say, then there's many other formulas in the background that could benefit from from having this potentially one package that you put various bits around the outside of to make it suit your your own individual formula. Um, so yeah i i would fully i would fully go for that personally i would think that's one of the best ideas that could happen very soon
0: yeah it's one of those things isn't it that people look back to the past and often there was much more cross-pollination of of championships and categories and everything's kind of walled off now as it were so it makes sense to uh, collaborate but yeah getting collaboration is always uh always always the challenge there's a few general questions really about engines now one that's just quite a fun one from Nicky Gray asks what's the most number of engines that a team you've worked for went through in a season so I'm going to guess it would might have been a Yamaha or Peugeot sort of one
1: yeah I mean it's it's hard to say how many engines you went through in the season but in in the past in that sort of era we used to um, budget for 60 engine rebuilds in the season from something like 15 engines Um, so you'd have start the season off with 15 or 18 engines and you know, you'd have 60 rebuilds by the end of the season um and it even went up higher than that you know went up to to the bigger teams are up upwards on 80 engines just because there's so much testing 80 engine rebuilds sorry um and it depends on how many engines you can drive that from how many you know how how long the blocks last and stuff whether they crack or or not but uh, you know we we've been through that sort of number um over a season but I couldn't I couldn't sit here and say it was you know it was 68 or it was seventy two, but that's the sort of number that you'd be budgeting for sixty engine rebuilds from some like fifteen or eighteen engines, which um it's massive when you consider now that you've got three engines for the year such. So it's uh, it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me at all. Because it, it it's one of those sort of things for those three engines, you probably end up with the same, you know, fifteen or twenty engines being built as we had then, um, just because of the amount of work they do on the dyno. You know, they took so much running on the dyno to get the reliability and the and the functionality sorted out that it's just a massive amount of money that's spent on the scene. I suppose you might call it. So, although it's changed dramatically from what we what we see at the racetrack, um, it's not changed dramatically on, on finance. To be honest, it's just it's very similar. We you know we used to plan for an engine uh, at a race meeting. Used to plan for an engine on the Friday, an engine for Saturday, an engine for Sunday. Um, sometimes you got away with one for two days, but in general, that's what you had it planned for.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very important point, that thing about where you're moving the spending to, and sometimes you are hiding the spending rather than eliminating it, which is a, a mistake. Uh, there's a general question from Robert Halloran about McLaren's Mercedes engine deal. It says, how much do you expect that deal to enhance McLaren's performance in 2021? It's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? Because the, the relatively stable cars, they can aero develop, obviously, which will move things around a bit, but we should get a real picture by comparing the gap to Mercedes and the gap to rent the Renault works team of what that Mercedes engine's worth in terms of performance, not just pace, but all round performance.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is a very difficult thing to answer, to be honest, because there will be changes in the car as well. So it's always, you know, it's very, very difficult. I have to say that, um, for whatever reason, you know, the Renault engine and the Renault car, in the last few races has definitely performed very, very well. Um, you know before, prior to that it was the the Renault engine in the merced the and the McLaren that was the sort of the performance of Renault really. and then it sort of switched over a little bit. So I think over these next few races, I think McLaren will be pushing pretty hard with their development direction. so we'll see how the competition goes between those two. but um there will be a difference. Uh, I mean, I think the the Mercedes engine package is the best in the pit lane as far as an all-round engine is concerned at the minute. But whenever you do look at Mercedes as a team, um, they have got, you know, they are definitely making the best use of it. Obviously, they've got the drivers, they've got the money, they've got all that sort of stuff. But you, you would have to say that Racing Point or Williams, the other guys using the, the Mercedes engine, are, are not getting the best out of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the cars are obviously different, but there's still something lacking in there for the customer teams with the Mercedes package. And I'm not sure whether that'll fall to McLaren as well. You know, that the teams have to, the engine manufacturer has to supply the the car and run it in the same specification. But it's not just quite as simple as that. You know, you obviously as a team then you start to work out your own harvesting strategy, your own deployment strategy, all that stuff. And that makes such a big difference to it. And I think just Mercedes know that bit more about it than the other than the customer teams. And McLaren might just struggle for that themselves. So it'll be interesting to see, but I don't expect it to be a, a light switch. Uh, they'll put them in front of the grid but I do think it'll be a move a move forward
0: and the final question comes from Graham Walsh who says can Ferrari do much to improve their speed with the engine with the token system next year now the engine system it's not it's not a token system anymore but it is restricted in a similar way there's certain things they're allowed to introduce at the start of the season but it's um, it's basically do it all in one hit isn't it that's, that's the challenge
1: well that is the challenge yeah doing it all in one hit uh, you know they have to do a better job next year um, it, it's quite strange as uh, one of the things I said i think in last week's podcast was the fact that by standing still sometimes you can go forward especially with the chassis and it's the most important thing for me is to recognize the the deficit of where your problems are and try and identify them and rectify them and that's chassis or or the the p u unit you know it isn't just black and white that because they were able to um, confuse the fuel flow uh, measuring devices or whatever on the car that give them more power. It's not just black and white like that, because they still had to develop that power. Um so they, they need to look at how that happened and, you know, whether they can get how they can get back to that position. And that's the important thing. They say they're building a new engine for next year. Um and I'm sure they probably are, but to sort of stand up and say, okay, we've got a problem, so we'll build a new engine, you can just dig a hole for yourself as well. It doesn't necessarily mean that it works. So they seem to have identified where their problem is. They seem to be biting the bullet while they sort of put that package together for next year. So there seems to be a hidden confidence in them, I suppose you might call it, which says to me that yes, they they, they have a way to solve the problem and move forward. So I hope so because we need them for the competition. You know, Ferrari are a very important part of Formula One. Like them or loathe them or hate them or loathe them or, or, or love them. They, um, you know, they've been Formula and Formula 1 a long, long time. And it's been just, you know, it'd be sad if they can't be competitive.
0: Yeah, there's a point where for a while it's quite amusing when a team's in that position, particularly seeing as there was obviously question marks over how they were achieving it before. But once you've had kind of a season of it, it gets a bit boring. You think this is actually, this is actually spawning things a bit. So we're hoping for that uh, for that one next year. So
1: Well, they're, they're, you know, they're dragging Haas and, and uh, Alfa Romeo down with them. Um, and that's bad because it's not just two cars that are, Sort of fighting the battle. There's six cars there, and the you know the Haas team, for example, you know they're fighting for survival. They're not fighting to be competitive in Formula One. They're fighting for survival. They're a privateer team that you know have have bought into the fight of work with Ferrari. So it's very sad for them to see that there's there's no hope. I suppose you might call it until Ferrari themselves get their act together. So they need to do it for those other guys, those customer teams.
0: Yeah, well, that covers our full set of questions. So thanks very much to everyone who sent a question in. Do follow Gary on Twitter on at GaryAndersonF1. You can fling questions in in his direction. We do take general ones as well as uh, specific ones. Obviously, we've got the Nürburgring coming up this weekend. You know a bit about winning at the Nürburgring, so uh, you must be looking forward to seeing F1 there again, Gary.
1: Well, it'd be good to see it there again. And and this time of year, the Nürburgring, um, if I was going there, I'd be taking a pretty thick jacket. So... I think it could be one of those races where where anything can happen. To be honest, because you know, obviously, if it's a straightforward race, we all know that Mercedes are right there. Uh, Red Bull might give them a bit of a hard time there because I think the Red Bull car should work quite decent there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the weather um, in the mountains there might just throw a bit of a spanner in the works and mean some decisions need to be made uh, on the pit wall, and that's what I like to see, especially whenever people seem to struggle making decisions on the pit wall.
0: Well, the good thing is because you've made good pit wall decisions there to win in the past, you can criticise anyone who gets it wrong uh, this weekend with impunity. So that's the uh, that's me, a good thing. But me, Ed, me criticise somebody? <laughs> no. No, credit where it's due criticism where it's uh, fair i think that's the way to thanks very much to everyone for listening do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen to read more from gary anderson and the rest of the team check out our other podcasts including the race f1 podcast and bring back v10s of course gary occasionally turns up on both of those podcasts and also check out our youtube channel just search for the race we're now going to head to the nurburgring and we'll be back next week with the latest in the world of formula one